Good morning, everybody. I want to expand a little bit on the contemplation of mind, the third foundation of mindfulness. And to include this contemplation in our sitting, walking, and standing practice and our informal parts of the day. So I'm going to read you first from the sutta, suttas of the Buddha, the precise and clear instructions for how we can contemplate mind as mind. And remember that mind is not just the cognitive faculty in the Dhamma. The citta is really all of us, the whole of our sensitive, resonant, impactable, and impacting. Right, all of that. And we want to contemplate mind as mind and not as who I am not as permanent, not as the reality. And how bhikkhus, bhikkhus is the word for monks, and how bhikkhus, does a bhikkhu abide contemplating mind as mind? So really take this in to yourself. You are the bhikkhu in this story. You are the one endeavoring to contemplate mind as mind. Here, a bhikkhu understands mind affected by lust as mind affected by lust, and mind unaffected by lust as mind unaffected by lust. He understands mind affected by hate as mind affected by hate, and mind unaffected by hate as mind unaffected by hate. He understands mind affected by delusion as mind affected by delusion, and mind unaffected by delusion, as mind unaffected by delusion. So as you can see the pattern of how, it, how it's um, written, because it's coming from an oral tradition, so it's got that benefit and um, limitation of repetition. But try not to skip ahead. Imagine that kind of knowing where your relationship to your mind in that moment was, oh, yeah, this is a mind affected by hate, period. Not having to shrink the attention around it, oh my God, shouldn't be hate, or I've got every reason to hate, and starting to build the papancha, build a whole construction and weave from there. Imagine that kind of freedom where we're not defined by the contents of our mind. He goes on. I'll change the pronoun. She understands contracted mind as contracted mind and distracted mind as distracted mind. They understand exalted mind as exalted mind and unexalted mind as unexalted mind. They understand surpassed mind as surpassed mind and unsurpassed mind as unsurpassed mind. She understands concentrated mind as concentrated mind and unconcentrated mind as unconcentrated mind. Not, oh, quick, how do I get more concentrated? Ah, unconcentrated mind. The knowing of that The knowing of that, that kind of knowing, that awakeness, that's blessed. That Ajahn Sachito refers to as that is buddho. That is the blessed one. The blessed one that knows and is not compelled to define myself by the contents of what moves through this space. He 
understands liberated mind as liberated mind and unliberated mind as unliberated mind. Imagine it could be that simple and maybe in moments it is. And it's not just a sort of clinical labeling of concentrated mind, unconcentrated mind, like you're sort of ticking off boxes. No, this kind of knowing is a whole body knowing, a whole heart knowing, a full awareness. So I'll offer some ways to um, go a little further with that instruction in moments where it might be a little bit more sticky. But I also want to really encourage you to also see in the moments when it really is not sticky. And in that spectrum I drew that vertical line I made the other night from the most sticky and caught and tight concoction of self and other and world right through to the loosening and the various degrees of loosening right through to the most subtle, subtle sense of subject sitting here. Knowing that Practicing there, that too is not me or mine or myself. And seeing what happens when we regard our experience, whether it's the most sticky, medium sticky, or the what appears to be not sticky at all, when we regard that, through those lenses of anicca, impermanence. This is something that is a flickering show. It's changing. It makes no sense to take hold and call it mine. When we can regard our experience including the most subtle sense of subject sitting here, the most subtle contraction in the chest. This is not me. This is not mine. This is not myself. Not out of denial but trying on that lens, that way of looking. Because that which sees the contraction is not contracted. That which sees the aversion is not averse. That which senses the lust is not bound by the lust. That which knows expansion does not have to define themselves as expanded. It can be known. And this is blessed. This is buddho. That which sees, that which senses, that which hears. From the most profound cry of the world to the subtlest flicker. So when I offer this instruction, it is not only for difficult emotion. From the Dharma perspective, well, from a meditator's perspective, we can see that it's often easier to see the problematic nature of difficult emotion. And I'm including emotion here as one aspect of that coloring of the chitta, right? the emotion, the mood, the tone. We don't often see the problematic nature or the dukkha, the binding in the positive emotions. 
And positive emotions are, are beautiful. The, of course, the love and the joy. Um, the issue in the Dhamma is not, as you can see, contracted mind or expanded mind. We can know it. The freedom comes from seeing the way that we start to take identity and weave a story about who and what I am and separate ourselves out, twist ourselves out of shape and make that who I am. So that includes when the love is arising, sometimes there can be like that subtle, oh yeah, that's it, that's who I am now. Good, got there. Ta-da! And then it, can, it doesn't usually stay there. It's like, oh, I wonder if anyone can notice. Because <laughs> I've arrived now. Right? And I'm pl- playing, I'm caricaturing in a way. But we can see that and we can love that too. It's like, ha-ha, I am the joyful one. Right? And, you know, we might not see the pain in that, but we'll soon see the pain in that, the dukkha in that. Sometimes we can see it only after, when it's gone, and we go, oh my God, I was that, now I'm this, and I should be that. Do you remember that whole thing? (laughs) And then we're in that kind of terror. But we can also sometimes see just the very taking hold has its own dukkha, the subtle grip of, it's me. Mm -hmm. The subtle gripping around the edges has a way that even with lovely things, we can twist ourselves, almost like trying to appropriate, trying to, almost becoming a consumer, wanting to, to own something and appropriate what is not mine, what is not yours, but belongs to the nature of things. The Buddha gives an image of the banana tree to show the emptiness, the non-substantiality of whatever is concocted, whatever is arising, whatever is kind of born out of the multiple malleable conditions of this inner and outer life, like a banana tree. It arises due to conditions in the season when the weather is right, when the conditions are there, when the moisture is just so and the sun is just so. But if you know banana trees, which I didn't until someone told me, there's absolutely nothing in the middle, apparently. The trunk is kind of, it's, it's really obvious that it's kind of um, constructed with nothing in the center. He said, so too, these fabrications, these concoctions, these senses that seem so real and feel real, we're not denying that they don't feel real. Kuan Yin, to be able to hear but this cry, but this is me, this is who I am, it feels real. But if we can rest back in the knowing, the Blessed One, feet on the ground, connected to the sky, not feeding, as Shada said, not feeding that fire. The conditions for the banana tree are no longer supported. It softens, it collapses, it drops back down into the earth, To know this is blessed. So today, when you're in a spin, and a spin, the image I like, is of what you call cotton candy here. You put a wooden stick inside that machine that's doing that thing with sugar, and you put the stick in and suddenly you've got a whole stick with a big pink mess on the top. (laughs) And it just spun. You didn't know you put your stick in the machine. You, you, You weren't voluntarily doing that. There wasn't mindfulness in that moment, right? 
Do I want to put this stick in this machine? Sometimes we have that kind of mindfulness. I don't think I want to put my stick in that machine right now. I know it's going to make a big pink gloop. Right? Some, sometimes we have that degree of mindfulness. Other times it's just spun and then we're walking around the dining halls with our stick. Like, oh my God, this is miserable. Right? So sometimes when it really has spun, here's what we can do. And I offer a number of perspectives. They don't have to happen in order. You don't have to go through the list and tick them off. <coughs> if you hear them and take them in, practice one or two of them. And maybe the others will come at useful moments for you. So the first thing is to stop with your stick. Stop. Stop. Let your feet rest on the ground. Stop and acknowledge the spin. That's the first thing we have to do. Because normally we don't acknowledge the spin. We kind of get stuck to the candy floss. We kind of, we call it candy floss. Um, Cotton candy. It's like we kind of get glooped into it. We kind of get stuck in the whole thing. It's like, oh, yuck, oh, and we're licking it, and we don't like it, and we kind of, ah, uh, right? Stop. Breathe out. Acknowledge the spin. I use the language, ah, this is a spin. That which sees the spin is not spun. That's huge. Don't underestimate that. Breathe out. That which sees the spin is not spun. This is a spin. Second thing to watch out for, watch the counter spin. Often in practice, in the beginning, we need to counter spin. We go, oh my God, I'm stuck in this thing. Quick, I better go back to the breath. Right? And we can try and yank ourselves away from that spot and go, okay, now I'm going to breathe. Okay. Breathing in, breathing out, breathing in. But it becomes another kind of spin. It becomes the spin and the identity is the kind of failed meditator who's trying to breathe in and out. And I'm spinning. Oh, my God, this isn't working. This is no good. This is tense. But I am supposed to breathe in because I don't want to go back there. And then we can find ourselves in this horrible arena like a pinball machine. And we're kind of pinging off that spin and going to another spin. Ping. Right? Oh, my God, that's terrible. Then there's some hatred. Oh, I shouldn't have hatred, shouldn't have hatred, really shouldn't have hatred, spinning that one. And we kind of got four sticks of cotton candy and we're in a pinball machine and get me out of IMS and I hope I get a phone call from home to say, please go home and... um, (laughs) Right, stop. Watch for the counter spin. In the moment that you notice the spin, you're already awake. Now you have enough mindfulness of body. You can feel your bum, your backside on the cushion. Let your breath come to the foreground. Don't counter-spin to it. Rest back in buddho, that which knows this is a spin. Just wait. Pause. Breathing out. Acknowledge. So this is another um, thing to acknowledge. Acknowledge the tone of the mind. Acknowledge the bitterness or the hatred, like the Buddha was saying, or the uh, desire, the lustiness. Acknowledge the rancor, the envy, the jealousy, the sorrow, the grief, the rage. Also, acknowledge the glow, the pride, the expansion. Acknowledge the brightness that might be there. Acknowledge the tone. You may also notice as you're letting your body come online with that, you may also notice your body is reflecting that spin. Meaning, I remember my dear old dad sometimes sitting in a chair at home when he could no longer move very much. Sometimes his fingers would be drumming on the arm of the chair. Right? He had a smile on his face, but something else was going on. There was a tension there reflected in this kind of quite aversive drumming of his fingers. You could drum your fingers, not aversively, right? But it had that, do you know, that frustrated kind of... Anybody not know frustration, right? That kind of, right? 
we can start to be awake to those pieces now. In the meditation, we might have just kind of closed our arms, calling it quits till the bell. Ah, can I sense that in the body I've kind of given up? We might notice the hardening, the collapse. We might notice the puffing out. We might notice as we sense the body a kind of absence of sensation because we might have just vacated for a while. We might have left. Acknowledging all these pieces allows us slowly to cohere here with this blessed knowing. So with earth below and sky above, acknowledging contracted mind as contracted mind, knowing expanded mind as expanded mind, knowing the mind filled with hate as a mind filled with hate, and the mind with no hate, as a mind with no hate. Not judging ourselves, because the freedom does not come about by making ourselves a better someone. The freedom comes about as we see that that contents of mind that can feel so deeply like who I am is not me or mine in any real way. It comes about due to conditions. And when those conditions are no longer feeding, it fades. It passes. It diminishes. It dies back as all things must. It's actually a lot of work keeping the spinning going. It's familiar to us. Sometimes we can feel at a loss if we're not spinning something. But those moments that might appear neutral at first are precious. Know them. Let them take you deeper. Let them lead onward. Lingering, staying, sensing, deepening your connection to the body breathing all the way to the end of the out-breath. When sticks present themselves to dip into the machine, You will see it as such. We're not compelled to make, to weave, to concoct, to fabricate. Sometimes it doesn't simply just dissolve. We know that. Calling upon she who hears, they who hear, he who hears the cry. And sometimes we hear the narrative agitated through consciousness, and we must acknowledge. the one who cries. But but I don't want to have to go in the hall again. Don't make me go and do another meditation. Hearing. Here's the one here's the one who feels under pressure. 
yeah, but I'm never going to get this. Everyone else probably gets it, but it's useless. I'm not getting anywhere. I might as well go home now. Here's the one who feels hopeless. But that person is so unmindful. The way they just put their food in the bowl at dinner, they're so unmindful. I really don't like unmindful people. My unmindful people hearing. Unmindful people are really dangerous. Oh, here's the one who's afraid. Here's the one who's afraid. Is the one who's afraid. That which hears the cry of the world is intimate, but is not defined by that cry. So let's practice resting back in the knowing the knowing that is not an abstracted knowing, but is a knowing that goes right deep into the earth, up to the sky, right through our flesh and blood and bones. Let that full knowing know what is here, what arises and what fades. And let it fade. Let it fade. Dare to let something fade when it does and see where that takes you. Let's practice together. Blessed one, none other than our intimate nature is right here. It is you and it is more than you. Closer to you than any spin. Closer to you than any agitation. Than any doubt, than any hopelessness. Timelessly knowing. Right now. Fully knowing the in-breathing right now. Knowing the out-breathing. You are awake. Bright. Knowing.
Where is your where is your mind now?
May all beings meet themselves with kindness. May we be able to meet ourselves with uprightness. And may all beings know the heart's release. So I want to acknowledge one thing at this point in the retreat with our emphasis on embodiment that sometimes we get the idea that I shouldn't be in my head, right? That can be a popular kind of idea. Oh, the problem is being my head. I should be in my body. And then we can make a duality between our head and our body. It's quite common for many of us. So I just want to loosen that idea if you, any of you are laboring with that idea. Loosen that idea. Your head is also part of your body. <laughs> I know it might sound obvious. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> so that, what that means practically for us is if we're noticing we're lost in our head. So thinking is really not the enemy here. It's the, it's the not being awake to what's happening is the problem. If we're lost in our thinking, we don't have to yank ourselves down here, right? We can see, ah, spin. Come to that, come to the knowing of the spin. That which knows the spin is not spun, and that which knows is located beyond your head center, right? There's knowing that happens here. But as we become more embodied, we see that this knowing is not limited to here or here. This knowing belongs to everything. So just loosening the idea, if you have it, that the head is the problem. The head can be known. The Buddha had a very good head, um, a very bright one. So... um, also acknowledging, because some of you will have noticed that um, one of our community left yesterday, and I spoke to her before she left, and she was fine for me to let you know um, that she had to go um, because there had been an unexpected death just before the retreat of a close friend, and the funeral is today. So that's dear April, that's at the front. And may she go well, and it was a, a close childhood friend. Um, and she's really doing okay. Um, and I say it because we all have made the agreement to stay to the end, so I think it's important to acknowledge that. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.